the quality of our life is determined by what we do. Mm. And so that's why we keep putting a priority over it. And our thoughts and feelings matter only as much as do they move us towards or away from that behavior that's Mm. meaningful to us. And that's another shift that you're putting on. It's like, there is no right or wrong way to think or feel in any particular situation. And whatever you are thinking or feeling is the reality. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Helping People Perform. Delighted to be joined today all the way from Michigan. In fact, from Grand Rapids in Michigan, we have performance psychologist and sports psychologist. Welcome to the show today, Dr. Eddie O'Connor. Uh, thanks very much, Paul. I really appreciate being here. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, me too. There's lots to go at, I'm sure. So uh, I always like to start with a bit of background in terms to, of what got you to where you are today. So tell us a bit more about where you've come from and how has it brought you to where you are today? Sure. Well, um, I guess I'd say I've always, I've been blessed to kind of always be interested in psychology. When I was in, I think it was sixth grade, I was reading Freud's Analysis of Dreams for Fun. So I was kind of locked into, you know, being like, this is where I wanted to go. But it very much changed as my life went on. So long story short, I, I went to college and, and at that point, I knew I wanted psychology, but didn't know what I wanted to do in it. I was a runner. Um, I had some mental blocks running, uh, ways that my own thoughts and self-limiting beliefs were holding me back. And it wasn't until the last class I took in college that I realized sports ecology was even a discipline, a field. Right. And I immediately said, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. So I went to graduate school, continued on the clinical psychology realm. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, but then I specialized in what athletes suffer from the most, um, particularly injury and performance anxiety. Right. Um, a lot of work with pain and injury, um, chronic pain, and, and applied a lot of the performance psychology, sports psychology principles to other populations in health. Um, I've been able to expand it since onto performing artists and uh, businessmen and women, uh, because what we found is that the psychology of excellence is, you know, that we learned in sport is very, very similar to the mm. processes you need to excel in any area. Maybe the context is different. But I've loved the generalizability of that. And so as my career has gone on, I'm now in a private practice. I do telehealth consulting one-on-one with athletes. I'll do speaking engagements, which is good because it can help impact you know, a greater audience if I can get a couple hundred people together and teach them these skills. Yeah. Um, my latest project is Success Stories Community, which is an online platform where I'm now looking to take it to scale so I can help even more. Um, so that's the short story, but it's you know, since I was a little kid, I wanted to help people. And I was just really curious about why we do the things we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, just that whole piece at the beginning there about reading Freud in sixth grade. So for my international audience and for me as well, sixth grade is about what age? Oh, like 13, I think. Right. Something I know I was really young. Yeah. It was long before high school. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, was... wait, so younger than that. I don't know. I just remember the teacher that I had had. That's why I'm remembering that it was in sixth grade, but right. yeah, 10, oh. 13, something. It was, it was an advanced book, but I was just fascinated. <laughs> yeah. And is there, a, is there anything, any backstory to that in terms of what got you there? Was that something that your parents or uh, um, siblings or someone else was looking into and that got you in there or did you just chance upon it? 
No, really, it's it's fascinating. It's, uh, you know, people kind of say that, you know, I'm good at psychology or rather I'll do something and like, oh, that's because you're a psychologist. And I'm like, no, I think I'm a psychologist because of who I am. I will tell you this story. So I grew up in the Bronx in New York City. And let's just say it's a tough place. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I get into on average one fight a year, like a literal fist fight. And that's just the way it was. But even the people that I fought with, like when in elementary school, you know, first through you know, fifth grade, when they had a problem, they'd still come to me with their problems. And I remember one guy in particular, like I'd put my arm around him, we'd walk around the playground and I would talk to him about whatever was going on. And I'm sure it wasn't as sophisticated as what I, the advice I give nowadays, <laughs> I was, you know, third grade, but just the fact that they would come to me right. and then, you know, two weeks later, it would be in another fist fight. <laughs> but there was just something about putting things aside and kind of being there for people that, that I enjoyed. Right. And then once I could combine it with sport and I found that out later on that, oh, my gosh, I had this fascination with sport, but that there was a specialty into excellence and it didn't have to always just be about pathology. Well, then right then I knew was when I was hooked, when I could take my passion from my heart to help others and then my passion for sport and enjoyment and competition and excellence. Yeah. And, and that they all of a sudden this one class merged together. That's when I knew I was locked in. Yeah. Um and I was blessed by my parents that they actually had no expectations for me. You know, they were just the ultimate for me and my siblings, where they never projected on to tell us what they needed or wanted, or, you know, they just said, whatever you want to do, go at it and we support you. And, you know, I just offer that for parents who are out there because I just felt mm -hmm. like that was such a blessing for me to be able to be free to discover myself. And I use that with my four kids who went in four different directions that I just remembered that lesson because, you know, they have to go through their own path. They can't go through mine. Yeah. No, it's a, a really valuable thing as a, as a parent myself. I find there are times when I'm having to hold back and, and say, you know, yeah. I know what I know, what I think I should be saying, but I know I shouldn't be saying it right now because it's, it's too restricting. You, you've just got to be there and support in whatever way it holds true with them as an individual as well, isn't it? So, oh, yeah, it's a big lesson, um, critical to the work that I do, whether we want to talk about perfectionists, I'm sure we've got some listeners out there who, who have that flavor. If you're in business, you're probably going to lean towards that. The difficulty with perfectionists is that they can't stand mistakes. And I can't stand mistakes either. I'm a recovering perfectionist myself, I like to say. Yeah. But when we have such an intolerance for mistakes, we end up hurting ourselves right. because we can't create the space necessary to learn from them. Mm. And I never tell perfectionists or anybody else that mistakes are okay. They're not. I don't like to go with that agenda and say, oh, don't worry about it. They're normal. They're not okay. They're, they're definitely an error. And at the very same time, they're vital to learn from. And you have to slow down and learn from those. Mm. I share this story because if we bring it back to the parenting, in my desire to love my kids and want to protect them from mistakes... I realized, well, going back to the science, that's not going to really work. They're not going to learn anything if I protect them from everything. Yeah. So I will support them. I will give them some warnings, but I tried to create enough freedom for them to make a mistake so I could catch them or assist them and, and not be devastating, but allow them the freedom to make mistakes and create an environment where it's safe to make mistakes and explore so they can both learn and have a tolerance for risk and build their confidence and resilience as they go through it. Mm. Yeah. And so as whether we're a parent or whether I'm talking to coaches out there or, or employers, you know, looking to kind of, you know, create a business and, and have a, a safe environment. This is the relationship we want to have with mistakes because they're essential to growth and development. Yeah. I, I 
good friend of mine uses the phrase, you know, you've got to allow people to graze their knees without breaking their legs. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to make those mistakes in yourself in some ways, or be in a position where those mistakes can happen, that it's not too bad if it happens, but it's a learning process. Uh, but it's something that we want to avoid in the first place. But when they do happen, we need to react in the right way. Yeah, you want to avoid them in the sense that I'm like, hey, if you're making the same mistake over and over again, or you make a mistake because you're not giving effort, then that's a problem. Then we're going to have a conversation. But I remember telling my kids, like, I want you to make a different mistake every day. And they're like, what? That sounds ridiculous. I'm like, but that's a sign of growth. That means you're trying something new and seeing if it worked or if it didn't. And that's going to propel you forward. And when I let my kids know, I want you to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, then I'm disappointed. That was a real game changer for them. Because right. they thought mistakes meant they were bad or that they were disappointing me and mm -hmm. other people, which typically is what the reaction they'll get. I remember my son's first soccer game and he misses the goal like, you know, they do a thousand times. And what do all the parents do? Oh, yeah. and we know mistakes are bad in that yeah. way. So being able to create that safety and understand that there's a value in it right. and then slowing down to take the time to learn from it. It's cliche. We all know we should learn from mistakes, but I'll ask the people out there listening. Have you learned from every mistake you ever made? Did you learn the first time? I'm sure the answer is no. <laughs> we, can, we can be better at this. Yes, precisely. So um, in terms of the sports and the sports psychology uh, area in particular, you know, as you've gone through your career, was it running that you focused on to begin with? And has that changed throughout? I know that you do some work in the basketball field now. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's really been a fun combination. So when I first got out of graduate school, I mean, there's not a lot of sports psychology jobs. There's not a lot of, um, you know, you know, a couple of decades ago, you know, there weren't a lot of colleges that em employed it or, you know, high schools certainly really weren't into it very much. Hmm. Um, even the pro level hadn't fully grasped it. So, I mean, you just couldn't come out of school and get a job as a sports psychologist by opening up the newspaper back in right. the day. So... I loved the field and because I also wanted that clinical aspect. So I started just in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was working with a hospital and I started to take all of these and I applied it to a chronic pain population. So right. for a good part of my career, it was split between the health populations of chronic pain, did some with obesity, and they really responded well because they liked to hear what Michael Jordan was doing and how to be excellent and how could how did this apply to them? Mm. Now, of course, the, the physical standards were dramatically different. But I was really early on and presented at conferences about this overlap between the sports psychology and the life skills and how we could apply it in different scenarios. Mm. All the while, I was doing a lot with you know, um, athletic injury. And then for whatever reason, just athletes in my community more and more were just coming to me with performance anxiety. And I don't know if that's just because we were getting such great results with that. And then the word spread and that ended up becoming my specialty as time went on. Um, and then... You know, as I had said, then I started to move it on and work with organizations and do it in groups. And, and most recently was working with the Grand Rapids Gold, the um, Denver Nuggets world champ yeah. uh, G team. And so that was just just an incredible blessing and fun to be able to play both roles of, you know, be there for their mental health, but also be there for the performance psychology. Wow. So to see these young men and, and how hard they're working and to be a part of a team and have this role and function within you know, their, their bigger purpose and just to, to be at the games and in the practices and then hear about their personal lives and just really be able to be um, a resource for these young men when they're working so hard and away from their families, um, pressure 
just very, very exciting times. And, you know, I, I look forward to that continuing. Oh, brilliant. And uh, the thing that comes to mind is the uh, the lady from Ted Lasso, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> who's working not only with the, uh, the the players themselves, but also with the team um, and the supporting team. Is that is that the kind of role you were you were providing in that sense? Yeah, I was only there for the first year. So hopefully in seasons to come, I'm looking to be able to open it up as people get more familiar with with myself, with uh, what it has to offer. You know, there's a bit of uh, it's not just something that's been very, very common. And so we're kind of creating the path as we go through. But most importantly is, you know, developing the relationship, knowing that it's confidential and of course being competent, kind of knowing that here's what I can offer and here's how I can help you. Yeah. And so um, really just being available and and I'm looking forward to whether it be with, with them or other teams in the future, just continuing to have this, I don't want to say normalization, but you know, I guess that's really it. Like psychology isn't just for pathology. We're really learning that, you know, just like you were looking, you don't have to be sick to go to a doctor. Like there's this thing about health and the best way to, to go so you can be healthy. There's a mental health and it's different than mental pathology and mental illness. They're not the same thing. Mm. So in the last decade or so, organizations, sports, human beings in general, I think are paying much more attention to improving our mental health and now maximizing it. Why would you want the bare minimum of your mm. mental health, right? So that this shift has been nice over my career. And yes, um, looking forward to doing that in in the sport organizations and beyond. Oh, that's wonderful because I, I was watching a little clip today. I, I worked for a while in um, McLaren, the Formula One team, and uh, seeing Lando Norris was doing a, a, a video today with one of his um, uh people who, who I guess it's a, a psychologist who who's helping him perform um, all about mental health and the value that it brings and the the requirement for it not just a you know not just an outlet but also to get you prepared for performance to um, and not just about reacting to the bad stuff but to get you prepared to win <laughs> get you prepared yes. to be at your best and um, you you talked about a term earlier on when we had a quick chat about psychological flexibility uh, yeah can you explain a bit about that for us please yeah, well, I think right now it's very much a scientific term, but it's been found in very recent research to be the number one moderator of change in human beings. Now, this is a, what they called it the Death Star study, because I, I might be misquoting it, but I think there were like 35,000 studies that they looked through. I mean, it was just this enormous project. And what they were looking for is when human beings change, what, what do they do? What is the mechanism so that we can improve our psychological field? Mm. And when you combine psychological flexibility with mindfulness training, which is a part of psychological flexibility, but whether it be mindfulness alone or psychological flexibility and mindfulness, it accounted for over 55% of change, wow. which is, a you know, if you're a statistician, that's a tremendous amount, more than therapeutic alliance or this strategy or, or self-compassion or all these other things that we say are good. We have found out through rigorous science that psychological flexibility is the, I guess, quality or trait, if you want to call it that, that human beings need in order to be empowered and make changes in their life. So very quickly, what is psychological flexibility? It's got six dimensions to it. One is the idea of present moment awareness, mm. being able to bring your focus and your attention into the here and now, as well as your ability to kind of jump outside of yourself and notice and observe, to be able to get that objective perspective where you're not caught up in the details of your 
internal experiences, but rather you can come outside of them and see yourself in the context that you're a lot more than just what's happening to you right now. Then there's the thoughts and feelings that we all swim in. And there's two characteristics. We can either be fused and attached and believe everything that we think, which we tend to do, or we can kind of defuse from that. And that's part of the psychological flexibility, the ability to kind of look at what I'm thinking and is it helping me or hurting me and respond to it in that way, Mm. as well as developing a sense of willingness to feel the things that we need to feel in order to pursue our goals. Because while we're all running around crazy, chasing happiness, nobody I've ever met is happy all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And we have, particularly in sport, I think have told people you got to think positive and feel confident so that you can play well. Well, that's not true. It's a hell of a lot easier if you can do that. And when you do do that, it is um, more enjoyable. However, we can't restrict ourselves and be there. We have to develop this willingness to be able to still for the business people out there, go to work when I don't feel like it, right. you know, make the call when my motivation is low. I've gotten 17 no's today and I'm really, you know, doubting my ability and I'm feeling really discouraged. And I need to be able to hold on to that lightly and say, I still want to make the sale and go out and still do the actions that are necessary, yeah. which leads me to the other two parts, which is really a clarification of our values. What's important to me? Who do I want to be? Yeah. And then being able to take committed action towards that. Hmm. And so long-winded, but those are those six dimensions. And when you can practice these and develop these skills, you develop what we call this psychological flexibility. The inflexibility is when we're rigid and just doing things out of habit or in the same way and following the rules and following our feelings. And we're getting caught in the future, in the past. And I've got these labels that I suck or I'm bad at this, or, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what I really stand for. I'm just going with the flow or uh, that I'm finding that, you know, I'm really not able to take meaningful action. Any of those could kind of suggest that we're psychologically inflexible and stuck. Yeah. And in very short story, that's the whole point of the success stories community that I've created is to create a safe space to develop all six of these and be able to apply them. Brilliant. And I mean, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, um, I'm a big rugby fan. We've got Johnny Wilkinson, who's uh, who's an England rugby player, won the uh, Rugby World Cup back in 2003 um, or 2008. I can't remember which one it was. Um, it was a long time ago anyway. Um, and he talks a lot about that, um, the psychological, in, in, in refl- on reflection, psychological flexibility. Um, but there were a couple of things that stood out to me from his story and from others, which is as a high-performance athlete or as a business leader, I'm told that when things are going well, I should be feeling this, or I'm expected Mm -hmm. to be feeling great because we've just won the World Cup, or I'm expecting to be feeling great because we've just won a a whole big deal um, that we've been working on. Or alternatively, I'm, you know, even though I'm expected to feel really bad in this situation, and I don't. And it's that area of, it's not saying from what I'm hearing in my interpretation and tell me where I'm wrong here, it's about those feelings that you're having are the feelings you're having. You know, whether you're expected to have them or not, those are the things you're there to do. And if you can deal with those and recognize them and, and work with those feelings and saying that, look, I'm having these feelings, let's work with them so that I can be at my best whilst having these feelings, it, it, as opposed to fighting yourself and saying, I shouldn't be feeling this, I'm wrong, I'm, I'm bad, whatever it might be, it's a... Um, it's a, it's an interesting paradigm, really. Yeah, you actually, you hit it perfectly. <laughs> and you illustrate a couple of extra points that I touched on, but you elaborated on nicely. Namely, 
that we always want to engage our feelings and our thoughts with a little bit less investment than we do our actions. Yeah. Our actions are independent of what we think and feel. And when we think that we have to think and feel in a particular way so that we can actually behave, we're creating a false rule. The quality of our life is determined by what we do. And so that's why we keep putting a priority over it. And our thoughts and feelings matter only as much as do they move us towards or away from that behavior that's yeah. meaningful to us. And that's another shift that you're putting on. It's like there is no right or wrong way to think or feel in any particular situation. And whatever you are thinking or feeling is the reality. And so we have to have some acceptance of that and deal with what is. And I might want to feel a different way, but I don't. So why am I going to spend all this time and energy to start wrestling with myself inside? Because when I do, I can't engage the world outside. Right. And this is the biggest, one of the biggest things that I work with with my clients in business and in other places is that when we get trapped up fighting our thoughts and feelings and all these internal experiences, how am I able to disengage from it so that I can put my attention and energy back onto the, the committed action of, of what's important to me? It comes down to workability. Mm. It's not a right or wrong thought. It's not a good or bad feeling. It's not positive or negative. Does it move me in the direction that I want to go or doesn't it? So as a quick example, if I say, oh man, I'm lazy. And people say, oh, you shouldn't say that. That's, that's, that's speaking negative. Well, if I say that I'm lazy and it makes me feel lazy and it reinforces that, and then I just lose energy and I sit on the, you know, watching TV and I don't get my work done, then yeah, like this isn't a helpful thought to engage. But if I say, oh man, I'm being lazy. And that reminds me that this isn't who I want to be. And um, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so lazy. And it sparks this fire under me to go ahead and get that project done. Then calling myself lazy and cursing myself out is great. Mm. It's working. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, so you have to take it time by time. There's always the context that's important. You know, so there are no rules about, well, Dr. Eddie said I can curse myself out and that's the way to motivate myself. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying depending on who you are at the time that you say it with what tone you say it with and, you know, and what's the impact that it's having. Right. But don't let yourself feel like there are certain rules to this psychology or emotional game that you have to play in order to get a result. We're, we're too individualistic for that. So if you get nothing else from this podcast, when you look at yourself internally, just say, is this helping or hurting? Right. Is it working or not? And make your decisions about whether to interact with that stuff based on that answer. Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, that's certainly one that I've thought about in the past. I've never articulated uh, that well, but I think that just that little question to yourself, that self-reflection element of, is this helping me? Is it hurting me in terms of what I'm looking to achieve? You know, the performance yeah. I'm looking for, the outcome that I'm I'm, I'm trying to get as well. Um, so, Let me add to that if I can, actually, yeah, yeah, because as I'm thinking about how your listeners might hear this, the pushback I tend to get from my clients is, but what if it's true? Right. Like, what if I am dumb? What if I am lazy? What if, what if I am unmotivated? What if, you know, I am overweight and you're trying to lose weight? Hmm. I would say, what difference does it make if it's true or not? <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't change the question. Yeah. I'm like, just because it's true and you say like, again, I'm overweight and you're thinking about it. I'm like, well, if it is true, okay. If it's not true, what difference does it make? Does that reflection and calling yourself overweight inspire you to exercise and stick to a, a healthy eating plan or doesn't it? Hmm. Because whether you're heavy or not, 
is kind of irrelevant at that point, whether you actually are being lazy or not. Maybe the truth is, is you are being lazy, mm-hmm. but if it's, if it's true and you're focusing on it, then it's still not helpful to focus on the truth. And if it's a fantasy and it's not hurting you, if you think that you're doing, you're awesome and you're not awesome, but it's actually helping you do awesome things, well, then you'll actually become awesome. (laughs) So you can be okay to lie to yourself. But if you think that you're great and you've seen this in your various fields and in sports in particular, if you think, well, I'm great and I'm awesome and I'm building up my self-esteem and my confidence and you're so focused on how awesome you are, you can't pay attention and you lose the game (laughs) or you don't give full effort because you think you're entitled to win. Mm. So I could speak the whole hour about this, but, <laughs> but don't get caught up on the idea, but it's true. Like right. this negative stuff that I'm saying is true. It still gets down to the point, true or not true, is what you're saying helping or hurting. So thank you for letting me elaborate. No, that's fantastic. I think that that you know, speaks to a number of people. It certainly speaks to me in terms of the, some of those conversations I've had with myself. You know, is like, you know, is this... And sometimes those conversations are the same conversation, but the context can be different and the, the tone can be different so that you, you know, can get yourself in a, in a vicious cycle or you can get yourself in a virtuous cycle and say, right, I'm going to pull myself out of this and I'm going to do something. And uh, that's wonderful. Um, right. I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on the success stories uh, membership, you know, um, uh, in terms of who that's for and how does that work? Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, Well, the Success Stories community is an online platform. And what I've got on there is all the work that I've done with individual clients. I've been able to record it and put it into these modules. But but that's not really the big part. The the best part is the fact that you'll join a community of other individuals like yourself. And, And I say that because, and I know it's a fact because I've got everything from young teenage gymnasts in there to college athletes to young adults who are you know starting their careers and working on health to middle age um, master's level athletes some world champions some recreational um I, I didn't start it off you know at first I thought it was going to be a bunch of athletes that were joining based on that's how I'd started it but what was exciting to me is how many people who just enjoy the athletic mindset joined and so some are working on sports. A lot of people are working on their, their um, professional occupational lives. A number of people I think offhand are working on um, you know, things like weight loss and I have a one or two athletes uh, or adults uh, using the athletic mindset to kind of handle their injury. Um, I've got a couple of master's levels. Um, I've got then you know uh, others who are looking to be a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna say that it's for everybody because it certainly isn't. Well, I guess the way I would say is that it's open to all ages. Um, but it really requires you to be a certain level of personal drive and independence. Right. So while I, I, I have Zoom meetings that we do together and there's access to me, um, it's not one-on-one coaching the same way I do with the individual person. Right. At the same time, if you are finding that you're stuck, that you're inconsistent, that you're not reaching your potential, um, and you really don't know how to do it, maybe you've tried to get through these things before and you don't know you know, what to do, or you do know what to do and you haven't been able to stick with it. The Success Stories community is a place where you can develop those skills. You can practice them. Sometimes we run challenges in there. So we get little competitions going, things like to, you know, who gets the most sleep to improve that or, you know, mindfulness practice challenges. And I've gotten so much feedback on these Zoom, what we call them team meetings, where people can kind of learn from each other, where I sit back and I kind of facilitate the conversation, but everybody's talking about what they've learned and what they've done, and they're encouraging each other. So there's a little bit of of something for everybody, whether it be the instruction that you want, the accountability, or in some cases, the community. 
And it's for one low monthly price. And I walk along you on this journey and it's, uh, it's going to be my life's work for the next next few many years oh fantastic and I'm, I'm going to check it out and see uh um hopefully we'll, we'll get all the links and everything into the show notes as always and uh i encourage everybody who's listening to go and check it out and if that's struck a chord with you then uh then you know i think the power of community and the power of it's there's two elements there's the knowing doing gap you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I know that I should be doing this, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> what oh, is it? oh, man, you just hit it. That, that, you know, thank you for bringing up this point. I forgot to mention it. Yeah. There's so much information out there. Mm. That's why I even hesitated to say that I've got these online modules because the people out there are going to be like, oh, my God, I don't want to take Correct. one more course or get yeah. one more piece of information. And I mean, so, of course, the training is there, but you will absolutely find that the emphasis on the inside is on the doing. Right. Like if you go through and watch all every one of my videos, I'm going to, I'm going to scold you and be like, you're, you're doing too much watching. Right. Like you, you don't need to pass a test. Yeah. What I want you to do is watch one video and work on it for two weeks mm. and develop that skill and make it part of your repertoire and then move on to one more like three minute video and implement that. It's going to absolutely be about the doing. So thank you for saying that because we, we say it in the, in the community, knowledge without action is worthless. Yeah. It's absolutely meaningless. Yeah. So the community, Success Stories community, is all about taking action and making that change in your life. Oh, wonderful. I, I applaud that in a, in a huge way. <laughs> so um, let's turn it around a little bit then and say, how do you help your own performance? You know, what is it that gets you performing at your best? Yeah, boy, it's it's a constant effort. I'll say that for first. Like I've gone through my own versions of imposter syndrome from a long while. Like it took me a while to start this membership because I'm like, am I good enough to do it? How am I to be telling them I haven't, you know, won a world championship myself or this or that? Right. Yeah. And then I started to realize that, you know, even when I was working with elite athletes, that they weren't at their best yet either. Right. That I don't, you know, I don't know if that we ever get to be our potential best. Yeah. But the process of it, it was amazing to me how some of the professional athletes, when I talked to them, were exactly the same as my high school athletes. Right. So this, I was learning this early, early on. And I became excited about this, this process of growth. So over the years, the first struggle that I had to have was to accept my imperfection. Mm. That took a long while. Then I had to give up the struggle to control, <laughs> which was another thing that I was doing to protect myself. So there's a lot of internal work on those things. And as I became more accustomed to psychological flexibility, both for my clients, but I, oh, by all means, was I applying that? Right. I think the biggest barrier I see in my clients that I saw with myself was that these messages that I got from the fifth graders in grammar school on the playground that told me, you know, how I wasn't good. And right. I can colorful stories about that, but you've all been on that terrible <laughs> playground. Those kids are vicious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they scarred me like and I was holding on to it. And I will tell you this. So that when my kids got into fifth grade, I remember the day that I looked at these little fifth graders, my children, and in my head, I'm like, you guys are still haunting me. <laughs> right. I still have a version of myself that for some reason, the kids that teased me in fifth grade, they were now adults and like in my head, but I'm like, no, they were fifth graders. Right. And I, I remember staring at my son and daughter, twins, looking at them. They probably thought I was weird, but I'm looking at them in the living room <laughs> and I'm thinking, you and your friends are running my life right now. Wow. This is ridiculous. You don't know anything. You're in fifth grade. You know nothing. And that was one of the big unhooks that helped me kind of realize, wait a minute. 
It's been in my head now for 30 years. Mm. But I have to choose to listen to it or not. Right. Like that's the big skill. It's not the fact that I'm still thinking this and I'm still thinking these things because they've been patterned into my life. You've gotten messages from your parents or from that traumatic experience. And I know it's bothersome. It's not easy to just let go and say it doesn't matter. Mm. I mean, I've tried to do that with some of the darkest stuff. But through practicing these unhooking skills, I've learned to say it's not working. It's not moving me in the direction. It's actually hurting relationships, making me insecure. So my path has been very, very much on the unhooking, the idea of saying, what's the function of this? And it turns out that all the time beating myself up, telling myself I'm not good enough, it was all in service of not being abandoned. Like if I can earn my worth, if I'm good enough, but these are all again rules, but it all I started to learn came from this place of, I just, I just don't want people to leave. Right. So if I could be good enough, now, I had to, in the end, like I said, give up the struggle to control when I realized that that was something you can't control people coming or going. That was difficult. Mm-hmm. So here's where the willingness came in. I had to open myself up to that vulnerability. And I did that by then attaching to say, well, then who do I really want to be about? It's like, well, I might not want to be left in my life, but I also want to love my kids, mm-hmm. my friends, my clients. And once I started to accept that I couldn't control what they thought of me, but I was in control of what I did with them. Well, then it solved both problems because, I mean, if you love somebody well, there's less likely that they're going to leave. I mean, you're in a good relationship. People like to stay in those, but more importantly, my focus was on what I could control and what I could do. Right. You know, I could pay attention to the person in front of me. I could, um, you know, work on my character. I could be honest. Mm. And once I found that those were things that were valuable, as well as then other things that I found important to me, like going to the gym and health, and I wasn't doing it now to win approval, but I was doing it because I enjoyed going to the gym. And I don't know what it is about lifting heavy things, but it's important to me. (laughs) (laughs) But that clarification of what was important and then saying, you know what, I can go out and I can do this and I can control that. And and keeping, keeping it in there, put everything together so that while those fifth grade thoughts and self-criticism still pop up, now I realize that they're just pointing me in the direction that, hey, it's because I love people and I value relationships. Right. So rather than fight with the internal distress, mm-hmm. I unhook and then say, so what can I do best now with the person in front of me or with the job that I have or with the athletic endeavor that I'm doing? What can I do right now in the present moment to move me in the direction that I want to go? Oh, that's wonderful. And then I refocus on that. Yeah. And I just iterate that year after year after year, which is, again, the point of, you know, the idea of the membership is that you don't just fix it in three weeks and then you're yeah. cured for life. I'm still getting better at it after, you know, two decades. And I hope I'm even better next year than I am today. Oh, I'm sure you will be. And uh, there's two bits uh, on there that struck home with me a lot. One is um, around controlling the controllables and not yeah. trying to control the uncontrollables. It's it's something that I I first, it was a, a switch that uh, went off in my head after a big redundancy um, that was announced surprisingly for me uh, whilst my wife was six or seven months pregnant. We're out in New Zealand, you know, with the other side of the world from family and all the rest of it. just like, right, what can I control? What can't I control? And that helped me move forward a lot in that space. Um, and then the second one was around changing narratives 
you know, and I've got one of my other uh, podcast series that I do some uh, to camera pieces that are specifically on that is how do you, when you've got a moment, and this was uh, the story uh, timing wise for these episodes, I think this, the, um, um, my episode is going to be out before this particular thing. It's, it's about, I got home the other day and um, I had I've got to look after my daughter and my wife was going off, off to pick up my son. And so in my head, I was thinking, oh, I can't do any exercise. I've been having lots of time issues in terms of finding the time to do exercise. I can't do any exercise because I've got to be at home looking after my daughter because she's important to me, you know, and yeah, I can't really just leave the house and all the rest of it. And then I thought, right, what if I change that narrative a bit? It's like, what if I have to go out and do some exercise because I've got to be with my daughter for that reason and found a way where I got, a, she's got a pram, I put her in the pram and went out instead of a, you know, me going out for a run, I went out for a bit more of a jog and a jaunt, but mm-hmm. it was outside. It was with her. It was so much more enjoyable, but it was changing that narrative from I've got to be here because of this situation. Just like, well, do I really, how can I change that narrative so that it, it is helpful to me? And that was the the conversation on reflection with, with yourself. Now it's like what my the thoughts and feelings weren't being helpful to me in that moment. So you know, can yeah. we change that narrative so that it become helpful? Yeah, beautiful examples, really yeah. perfectly illustrated. And one of the things I'd like to highlight on there is that when you start to practice noticing what you're thinking, as opposed to just thinking it, you mm-hmm. will find that our mind is a rule making machine and it does it i think because it wants to be more efficient and we like to kind of know what the what the operation things are but we create so many rules that don't exist i Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier every athlete that comes in to see me is like i have to think positive and feel confident so i can play better Mm -hmm. and it takes weeks sometimes of working with them to be to get that core belief they don't even verbalize it anymore but they just kind of feel like that's it or in the idea like i don't have time to exercise because I have to stay with my daughter as if those, you know, in 24 hours a day, you're either with your daughter or exercising. Well, there's probably like 20 other hours that you, you know, you didn't invite into the conversation yet. (laughs) (laughs) And so when we can step back and just kind of notice and hold on to everything that we're thinking lightly, because it's, it's often limited in some particular way Mm. um, that only slowing down and being objective can can really open up a whole extra space that you haven't seen yet. And I'm glad to see that you were able to do that. Oh, and, and as you say, it's one that you've got to continue practicing and, and continue getting better at as well. So um, yeah. if so if you were able to help any individual or team or organization with the skill set that you've got, maybe it's through the uh, um, the success stories piece, maybe it's just a one-on-one, whatever it might be. Is there anybody yeah. out there that you would like love to work with in order to help them perform at their best? Well, my, my personal fantasy dream, if you're asking in that way, would definitely yeah. be to help the Buffalo Bills NFL football team win their first NFL championship. So not yeah. only do I want to work with them, but I want to be there for their first one. And so I mean, I want them to win the Super Bowl this year, but I'm not on staff. So I'm a little like, well, but <laughs> but I've been a fan of the team forever. And when things go on, I'm like, I know I can help Josh Allen cut down on his interceptions. I know I can, you know, we've had terrible injuries the last couple of weeks. And I want to be there for the, these players that I've uh, supported, you know, as a fan for so long. So I'm, I'm huge into Bill's Mafia. Right. Um, 
And, and if the opportunity comes up, I will, you know, gladly do it more realistically, like as far as what's possible is I want to help the people who are listening. Right. And I mean that with all sincerity, it's, uh, I am so driven to make a difference in the lives of, of the general world and population, because the things that I have learned in my career, I'm like, why are we keeping this a secret? Mm. Why is not this taught in third grade? all the way up in, in as an academic, like, why don't we make this go to history and then go to mental health class mm. and we can teach these things like psychological flexibility and, and what an impact on the world that this would make. Mm. So, you know, your businesses would be better. Families would be closer together. Addictions would come down. Like that's the power of this psychological flexibility. I mean, it's wonderful to win more games and yeah. I'm happy to help people do that. But if you're listening, you're my ideal audience. If you're struggling to be consistent, you're my audience. You're the person that I want to help the most. And, and I hope that we're, we're doing that in this podcast. So again, Paul, thank you. This, this You are the population that I want to work with. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, as I say, we'll we'll definitely have all the uh, um, the things in the show notes, uh, making sure that people can reach out and connect in that way. Um, and I'm just going to flip that question on its head a little bit as well. So if you were able to sit down and have a have a coffee, have a meal uh, and share some time with somebody that you think could really uplift your own performance, who would you want that to be? Yeah, well, uh, boy, I've got a couple of answers. One, one I'm a strong Christian, so if I could talk to Jesus and see him live, that would be fantastic. Of people who are still here today, I'm going to go back to the Buffalo Bills and, and talk about Hall of Fame coach Marv Levy. Um, he took the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s to four straight Super Bowls. And again, just because I was a fan at the time, but I'd also be listening with my sports ecology ear because the resilience of that team to lose a Super Bowl and go back and lose and go back and lose and go back. Like, I would just love to hear um, the stories and how people did it. Um, and my third choice, which I want to mention, although I hate mentioning it, would be, unfortunately, Tom Brady. And I say, unfortunately, Tom Brady, because he kicked our butt for two decades as a Bills fan. <laughs> but Tom Brady wasn't great at the beginning. Right. Like When he went to Michigan, he was a backup mm. and he, he was a sixth round draft pick. He created himself over a period of time in a relatively public eye, like at Michigan, he wasn't like, again, the, the best. Hmm. And when he got to the NFL, but in the clips that I've heard about him, he had this process over years to become the Tom Brady that we all know and the multiple world champions and super successful person. But he didn't start out that way. Hmm. So the way that he created himself, I would love to have a podcast and talk with him and be like, I want to hear about all your struggles, Tom. I want to hear about when you didn't believe in yourself, when you doubted yourself, when you made a mistake. And the little bits that I've heard from him is coming back to the beginning of our uh, discussion. When the stuff didn't go right, he sought counsel, he got feedback, and he made an adjustment. Right. And I believe he made a lifetime of adjustments to get to be one of the greatest players that ever played. Mm. So those would be my three conversations. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> um. Okay, so much to uh, to just reflect <laughs> on in this whole conversation for me. But in the meantime, how can my listeners get in contact? How can they engage? Where do they go to find out more? Well, I, I have a lot of free stuff out there for you. Again, I love these podcasts. 
I've got a YouTube channel at Sports Dr. Eddy, S-P-O-R-T-S-D-R-E-D-D-I-E on YouTube. It's got my mental toughness in 60 seconds, uh, free video series there. I'm all over um, social media as well. The, the best place to go is DrEddieOConnor.com, my, my main website. On there, I've got links to all the social media. I've got links to my um, Success Stories community. Um, you'll just look at there under the membership tab. Right. And you can get all the information about that there. I've got other resources there as well, like um, my Sleep Your Way to the Top workshop, um, information about one-on-one consulting and speaking. So if you'd like me to bring in to help your team or organization, you know, I'll travel and and bring my message with me too. So, you know, just feel free to reach out. Um, if I don't have something, I've even created stuff to help people where they're at. So right. if I don't have the right product or, or method, you know, it's really important to me to get the things out and help you. Mm. So I like to have these discovery conversations uh, via email or phone call and just say, how can I help? And, you know, then sometimes I just create something and say, well, how, how would this work? <laughs> so DrEddieOConnor.com is the best place to uh, to land. Brilliant. So yeah, check out the show notes. They'll all those links will be in there. And um, and yeah, let, let's. I'm going to be checking out that YouTube channel over the next few days and making sure that I, I don't overdo it in terms of the <laughs> the watching. <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to focus on that piece on action as well. That's been a big takeout for me. So I mean, so many amazing takeouts from today, and I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I I, I can't wait to see where you take this and where you take your community and the, and the huge value that that undoubtedly will bring. So thanks so much for being on the show today, Dr. Eddie. Oh, well, truly my pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and best wishes to everybody out there. Go, go live your best life. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.